as a podcaster, our instrument is our voice. Yes, that's right. Our voice. The microphone and the RSS feed, sure, they amplify our voice and get it out into the universe. But without our voice, we pretty much wouldn't be able to have a podcast. I found my guest today, Emanuela Grace, when doing some research about the voice. Her insights impressed me so much that I knew she would provide a ton of value, so I invited her on the show. As a high-performance voice coach for more than two decades, she's helped thousands of people with their voice. Her program is built on a foundation of science and years of research. What's crazy to me is how little attention most people pay to their voice. It's almost like if you don't use your voice professionally, you completely ignore it. So if you're not an actor, voiceover artist, a musician, or a podcaster, you kind of just take your voice for granted. And even some people who do use their voice professionally take it for granted. What I love about Emmanuel's approach is it's holistic. We dive in and talk about the psychological and physiological components of understanding our voice, of understanding how our mind works, and understanding the anatomy behind how our voice works. We even learn about some of the outdated thinking that exists when it comes to understanding our voice. And don't worry, she also gives us plenty of fun exercises we can do to have some fun with our voice. If you've ever wanted to explore the world of the voice, then you've come to the right place. So let's not waste any more time and let's dive straight in to the conversation. Emanuela, thanks for being on For the Love of Podcast. Thanks for having me, Billy. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Well, when I first heard an interview that you did, I just thought to myself, I need to have you on this show because I think often podcasters forget to think about their most important thing that they have is their instrument, their voice. And without that, it's very difficult to do a podcast successfully. Let's be honest about it. I want to go back in time on your own personal journey as an 18-year-old. You were hit by a car. Yeah. This affected your life because it led to you having an awareness of how to use your body, something called the Alexander Technique, uh, I think a really important part of your journey. Can you talk about that experience and how that led to a chain of events which led you to today? Sorry, I'm pausing because I'm absolutely floored by your research. I don't know the last time I told that story or even mentioned it. So I'm impressed that you know that about me. I was in a car accident at 18. I was already working professionally as a singer and had been a professional singer for probably two years by that stage. And I was told there was no hope. I had a pretty severe head injury as well. But this is before we understood about neuroplasticity, which is giving away my age a bit. And I was very deeply convinced on a very profound level, probably not as conscious as I would say I would be now, that I didn't agree with the idea that I couldn't recover from this. I really didn't believe that that was the end of it for me. I believed that my mind could recover and my body could recover. And so my lifetime since then has been a journey of finding ways to recover from something that I was told you could not recover from. Alexander Technique is a way of using your body that helps your body maintain its own equilibrium and its own balance. So by freeing the neck and freeing the limbs and also removing, and the most important part is the removal of 
extraneous tension. We need tension in our body to hold us upright. Otherwise, we'd be puddles on the floor. But (laughs) uh, the extraneous tension is actually what creates the injury. And so by freeing the neck and removing extraneous tension from the body and finding a way for the body to move so it's in balance with itself, we optimize the way that our body can function. And one of the things that happens when we sustain an injury is that body kind of gathers around it to protect itself. But the risk of that is that as the original injury starts to heal, you can develop secondary injuries out of the habit of protecting yourself. So if someone say is shot in the leg and comes home and the leg gets healed, but they walk with a limp, the limp is not from the original injury, which is healed. It's from the body developing a habit around how it's using itself to protect that injury originally. And so Alexander Technique helps us to reintegrate the injured parts of the body into how we're using ourselves. But it's not just about the body, it's also about the mind. So it was the start of a very long journey for me into understanding that the psychology of how we use our bodies and the awareness that we have around our bodies is just as important as the actual actions. So with Alexander Technique, one of the principles is that if you stop, and they use the word inhibit, which is also, you know, in mindfulness called being mindful or in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, it's called catching the thought. If you can have that moment where you pause, you then give yourself options or you give yourself power because through having options, we have empowerment. And the options you then have are to say, stop, not move, just stay in the moment, or you can do your habitual response or you can do something else. So an example of this would be, let's say in traffic, if you're a screamer, someone who shouts at people and then you get home and you're like, I'm so stressed because the traffic was so bad. There's not a level of awareness that perhaps you're stressed because you are winding yourself up by shouting at everyone. Mm. So if you decide that you want to address that level of stress around traffic, what you would do is next time someone cuts you off, instead of screaming at them and pounding the wheel, you'll stop and pause. Road rage never did anyone any favors. So, (laughs) Well, that gives you the option then. Okay. So you can either stay stopped and just kind of be like, okay, I'm just going to sit here a minute, let them go in front and just be okay with that. It's not really going to make me there any later. Or two, you can choose to pound the wheel and shout, but it's in a way therapeutic because you're choosing it. Or you can choose something else Mm -hmm. like to blow them a kiss or pull over and grab a coffee. The minute you choose to do something else, the world opens and you can do anything. There's an example of, I guess, how Alexander Technique helped me was it introduced not only a way of using my body that released tension and stopped me from developing residual injuries or helped me address residual injuries, but it also helped me on this journey or it was the very start of a journey of awareness of you know how I use my body actually starts with a thought. It really does. You've described yourself as a stubborn person when it comes to not allowing people to tell you you can't do something. For example, your singing career, right? You were not going to let somebody- right coming to you, say to you, you're not going to do this. You were determined. You're bound and determined. The same is true when you had this injury that could have made you go one direction, but in fact, you went the exact opposite direction. And so ultimately, what I love about your approach is the holistic nature of it. You're not just looking at the physicality and the physical nature of understanding the way things work from a purely body part perspective, although that's very interesting. You're looking at it as well from a psychological standpoint. I was sort of debating where do we start? But then what I realized is they're all connected. Exactly. We can start anywhere. (laughs) Pull any thread. Just pick a thread. Just pull it. You say that almost 100% of the population has a voice, but very few people Mm -hmm. 
actually feel confident using it. And I think that's a really, really important point that you're making because I know as a podcaster, I am thinking about talking and I'm, I'm more conscious of it now, but I wasn't necessarily as conscious of it before. Aren't even podcasters aren't conscious, aren't as conscious about enough about it as they should be. And then you look at the rest of the population. This transcends, it could be into anything. It could be in the boardroom. It could be in family life. I mean, there are so many applications of how we can apply our voice. And so let's talk a little bit about the psychology of why is it that Mm -hmm. we, for example, most people don't like their own voice. Let's start with that because most people, they just don't like hearing themselves talk. What causes that from a psychological perspective? Well, firstly, it probably just doesn't sound very good, but that's because they're hearing themselves back. Like if you've ever recorded yourself on your phone and then played it back, you've got to put that in context. I heard someone once describe it like looking at a photograph of yourself that was taken. This is kind of the inverse, but it was taken of you in your 20s from a really great angle. And uh, then in your 40s, looking at that and still thinking, that's who you are in your entirety. It's just not true. If you listen to a recording of yourself on your phone, firstly, you've probably recorded your voice through a really cheap or inexpensive piece of equipment that isn't going to be very good quality. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to be compressed, which means that they take out a lot of the quality and take out the top and bottom or the variation of your voice. And then it's fed through a piece of software that's not designed for capturing the voice and all its nuance. It's capturing just kind of the impression of the voice. Then it's going to be played back to you through a really dud pair of speakers. And then you're going to say, that's me. Mm. That's what I sound like. It's a representation of an impression that you made that's been filtered through multiple filters, none of which are complementary. Yeah, no, that's a really great analogy. I love thinking about it from that perspective. What can we do to move beyond what may be our perception of what we sound like? And I think come to terms with the actual voice that we have, because you focus a lot on the psychological components. What else should we be thinking about? Or what else do you think about as a coach and as somebody that really does focus on voice? What are some other things in that realm that that come into play? Well, there's a couple of components. Amy Cuddy did some amazing research on power poses, which I think if you're not living under a rock, you've come across at some stage. And what we understand, even though that that research has moved on because it's been 10, 15 years now, what we did understand from that research is that how we use our bodies affects how our minds feel. And so by getting into a good headspace before you communicate in an important context, let's say the boardroom, or even before you get up and connect with your family at breakfast table, get yourself into a good headspace but you can use your body to do that, which might be doing some sit-ups or doing some power poses or play. we put on a record and dance, you know? Anything where you're feeling good in your body will affect the sound that comes out. If you think of your voice as the sound that an instrument is making, mm-hmm. if the instrument feels good, like let's use an example of a trumpet because that would make sense for people, right? You hear people talk a lot about the diaphragm. It's important. If it wasn't working, you're not breathing. But I don't think that it needs to be the focus of voice training. It really is just the air that goes into the instrument. So it's important in as much as the power behind the sound, but it doesn't deserve the amount of tension I think it's gotten in the past. Mm -hmm. Diaphragm, good, important. It helps you get the air through the trumpet. But if the trumpet's been banged against a tree and filled up with mud and you haven't cleaned it lately and it's still got a bit of spit in the bottom, (laughs) it's going to be rattly and a bit out of tune. And when you hit a high note, it's going to squeak and it's not going to be a good sound, right? So if you don't look after the trumpet, the sound that comes out the other end of it, however good the air going in is, it goes through the instrument, which is your larynx and your 
pharynx and your sinuses and it all resonates in your face. If that part of the instrument isn't functioning well, the sound that comes out, the voice that comes out of the instrument is not going to be great. So that is also true that if we look after our minds, which is the thing that controls the instrument, if we look after our minds first, if we get our body feeling good, straight away your voice is going to sound better because you're looking after the instrument as a whole. You're polishing that trumpet, you're removing the spit, you're taking care not to bang it around, keeping it warm. All of those things will make your voice Mm. or your instrument yield a better sound. Man, what a fantastic analogy. I love that. Another analogy that you've given, at least a thought, is this idea of having a childlike mindset. I absolutely love this thinking. And we are so conditioned as adults to move away from this imagination that we have as children where sky's the limit and we could do anything. And we just have this everything's possible sort of mindset. And I love the child mindset when it comes to voice. And one of those things that you talk about is even just mm. singing in the shower. Oh yeah, that's well, tell, the best tell, exercise Tell us why. Why is that a good exercise? <laughs> Firstly, the acoustics are usually really good. If all the rooms in the house were going to sound great because there's like naturally some echo, uh, it's good. But one of the things that can make it challenging is you're naked. And so people will feel exposed. Well, like hopefully you're naked. I don't know how you shower. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like even for me, I can have moments where I'll get in there. I'll be like, okay, you know this works. You know it's good for you. Now sing. And I'll my mind will go blank. And after being a professional singer for more years, than I want to tell you, I will still have a moment where I'll be like, I can't think of anything to sing. So then I'll usually go, I want to dance with somebody. So always to the witness, right, right, like right. she's of always course. first port of call, <laughs> but um, and hope that I don't slip and fall in the shower. It's one of those things where you've just got to set aside your inhibitions and be like, I'm naked. This is the best I'm going to sound. Let's go and just go with whatever goes into your head first, because it's warm and it's steamy. So your vocal folds are in a good space and you're relaxed because hopefully no one's banging on the door and telling you they want breakfast and cat hasn't used the litter or the spin cycle isn't going in the laundry because now we're all living at home a lot more than we used to. But it's one of those things where it's just somewhere we can get really uninhibited. And if you can feel uninhibited when you're naked, it's going to be so much easier to feel uninhibited when you're dressed in front of an audience, Mm. like your boardroom. It's funny. I have to admit something in doing my research before this, I heard what you're talking about. And so I was even just earlier today, I was going around the house, not just in the shower, but just like just playing around with different things in my voice. My wife is like, yeah. what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just that sense of play. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Exactly right. I get the inhibition. You know, if you could do it naked, you could do it anywhere. You could do it with the microphone in front of you. <laughs> you could do it anywhere. I get that. What about playing with your voice, going different directions? Why is that important? Yeah. Well, if you think of your vocal folds, like the anatomy is actually incredible. If you think of your vocal folds, the size, they're the the reed within the instrument. So let's go from thinking of it as a trumpet to thinking of it as an oboe, for example. The reed that you blow into in the instrument to make the sound, your vocal folds are that reed. And they're the size of your little fingernail or half your eyelid. They are tiny. So if you think about the size of the sound that comes from playing air through that reed, And then very few teachers, well, until the last 20 years as with technologies developed, very few teachers spent time thinking about that read. But what we now understand anatomically is it can stretch longer and shorter. So think of it like a a balloon, the opening of a Mm -hmm. balloon. If you stretch the opening of a balloon as the air comes out, the longer and thinner the opening of the balloon is, the higher the sound. As you stretch your vocal folds longer and thinner, the sound will get higher and thinner. Mm. And as you let them get shorter and fatter, you'll get this kind of chunkier sound. So on a very basic level, the higher you go, the longer the vocal folds are. But on top of that, they can thicken and fatten to change the texture of the sound. So by playing, what you're doing is stretching those vocal folds and starting to find ways through moving your 
the velum or the, the soft palate, through moving your tongue, through moving your larynx um, up and down in your throat, through moving the vocal folds, all these different moving parts, you're playing with different sounds that you can create. And one of the big challenges that I come up against when I'm working with people's voices is they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, I don't like my voice. Mm-hmm. And then as it starts to change, they'll say, it doesn't sound like me. And I'll say, well, there's no one else it sounds like because there's no one else that can play this instrument for you. It is the one instrument you can't give to someone else to Mm. play. This is your voice and your voice alone. So how you sound is your choice. Your voice is a choice because it is the byproduct initially of socialization and all those years of practicing with sound, whether you're conscious of it or not. Whereas when we start to consciously as adults play with that sound, we're just returning to the process of how we we learned to use our voice in the first place. But this time, it's mindfully and with an awareness of the implications of those sounds. The socialization piece is really interesting because I think much like we were just talking about how we get into this non-childlike mindset where we don't stray from the norm, from what is acceptable. Mm. We talk in a way that we think people want to hear us. Therefore, we're not going to do anything Mm. out of the ordinary. But what you're prescribing here is to play around with the instrument because there are a lot of inputs, right? You've just mentioned more anatomy than than I've thought of in the last, you know, (laughs) 10 years, right? Because it's not my world. Although I want it to be more and more my world and I want to understand it. So I'm going to come at this completely like like a child, really, just trying to learn it all. Let's talk yeah. about the elevator Ask pitch because that's something that I thought was interesting. For those listening out there, do you want me to actually talk, talk people yeah, through talk this exercise? Through it, yeah. This is a really exciting yeah. exercise. So if you take your four fingers, I'm not sure how many people will be looking at this, but if you take your four fingers and put them sideways mm-hmm. across your throat, so um, your fingers will be sitting with your little finger at the top of your collarbone and your pointer finger underneath mm-hmm. your chin and just very gently place it on your larynx. So your larynx is that kind of ridged bit you can feel in your throat. Be very mm-hmm. gentle. Um, with with men, we will feel the Adam's apple. That's the front of the thyroid cartilage. It's there with women as well. It's just not as okay. prominent. So that's why men's voices are naturally more lower and resonant is that the space in their throat mm-hmm. is bigger than in women. So there's a bigger resonant chamber. But if you then swallow, you'll feel that move up I and just down did that. against yeah, yeah. your fingers. Yeah. <laughs> so if we kind of have, let's say we'll have three different sounds we'll make just to demonstrate demonstrate how by changing the space in the throat, you can change the resonance of the instrument. So let's drop our larynx all the way down and go, yo, yo. like Yogi yo, Bear. Yo. Yeah. Yo. yeah, I felt it drop. Yo. Yeah, you can feel it gets lower and deeper and 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 a more round sound. Now, if we just kind of go to that mid-level and go like a bored teenager, yeah, huh? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you can feel your larynx move kind of in the middle of that of that space. Now, if we go really high and go, yay, like a cheerleader. Yeah, like went above my finger. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. You should feel the larynx pull up. So what we're doing, if you think of it like an elevator in a shaft or the larynx, like an elevator in the shaft, as you move it up, it gets, the space gets smaller. So think of it like a piccolo, a little instrument that makes a high sound. If we go to that mid place, yeah, huh? Then we're more like a flute, a bigger instrument. So it's it's the same note, but it's a bit more resonant. Then we yo, go low. Yo. yo. Think more like an oboe. So it's all your voice, but as the larynx moves up and down in the throat, you're changing the size of the space where the sound resonates. And so even though you, I'll give you a demonstration in a sec, even though the note can stay the same, by changing the resonance, you can change the perceived depth of sound. Mm. So let's go for a concert A. So if we go. Hey, with the lower larynx, hey. 
And then we go in the mid, A. It sounds higher, but it's still the same note. And then we go, A, with the larynx pulled up high. It sounds high, but it's all still an A. It sounds like you have helium. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so we can go, A, A, A. So all I'm moving is the larynx up and down, but I'm keeping the vocal folds the same length. This is one exercise we can do to change the resonance of our voice. If you want to sound deeper on the phone, just drop your larynx down a little bit. Hi, Billy. How are you? When you go high when, or medium or, or low, like, you know, low, you're high, Billy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is, I know you, you, know, you want more resonance. That's kind of like what the go-to is. Why is it, why mm-hmm. is it psychologically that we are more attracted to that, especially when we, Maybe it's confidence or authority or things of that nature. What are the things that come into play? Why do we look for something with maybe a a deeper resonance than something more like a high pitch? There's a lot of research that shows us that deeper voices are more trustworthy. We know that. And I think personally, the reason is that we find it more reassuring. Personally, when I speak with a more resonant voice, I'm hearing something that sounds calm and reassuring. And that creates a feedback loop for me where if I sound hysterical, everything's going to wind up and I'm going to start feeling more stressed because I'm hearing a really stressed voice. And the more I hear a stressed voice, the more stressed off. If I bring it down, if I slow it down, I'm hearing a voice that sounds reassuring, even though it's my own. Secondly, what we have also noticed is with small children and dogs, they associate deeper voices with emotional stability. I'm not sure if you've ever tested this out on your kid or your pets, but if you scream at them in a hysterical way, they're going to ignore you and probably get more wound up. If you drop your voice down and say something just like, stop. It's going to be okay. I hear you. Everything stops. Everything slows down. Everyone's more present and you have more space to think because you are being emotionally stable. And then their mirror neurons are going to go, oh, okay, it's safe. I'm good. I'm going to copy that. And it's all subconscious, right? None of this is conscious except for the choice for me to change how I'm using my voice. Oh, and I love that you brought that up because that's exactly where I was going too. I was like, we think our voice has to be a certain way because we've been conditioned over time to believe that our voice is our voice. But in reality, it is an instrument, as you've already clearly outlined, there's so many inputs, we have the ability to make the changes necessary. How can someone... Mm -hmm. Begin. I mean, obviously getting a vocal coach, getting a voice coach to to help is one way, but what's something somebody could do on their own to work on their voice to, it sounds like the research is clear. And I know talking to my eight year old, when I get, you know, when I get stern, it's like, (laughs) it's very different than when it's happy go lucky. And I'm talking a little bit like I am right now, as opposed to getting a Mm. little bit deeper and more stern. How can someone work on that? I think the most important step there is going back to that Alexander Technique conversation we had earlier is first stopping, um, getting the mental headspace to acknowledge that how you use your voice in any given moment can be a choice rather than an automatic response. If we stop or inhibit or become mindful or catch the thought, whatever phrase you want to use to describe that momentary stepping back and becoming objective, that already gives you an advantage to then choosing what you do next. It helps you choose your words more wisely. It helps you choose your vocal tone. It helps you have a moment where you can connect with a person and make sure that you've got their attention. Like a lot of the time, I think the reason we're not connecting with people is we haven't gotten to their level. We haven't, you know, with kids, get down and look them Mm. in the eye, make eye contact with people in the workplace, breathe in for three seconds through your nose before you speak so that you've got a moment to make eye contact and make sure 
you're grounded first. And people will then connect with that energy and follow you there. So I think that pause before you do anything is actually the most vital part in all of the training I've done in communication and and in singing and in psychology and in teaching. That is the biggest takeaway that if everyone could just pause for three seconds before they do anything, it will be a game changer. They even use it now training the Marines uh, after they've had a shock, that three second in breath through the nose. And you'll hear it, you know, there's a Jeff Buckley song, I think his recording of Hallelujah, Mm -hmm. where you hear him just breathe in. I heard there was a secret chord. And just that that breath that you take in before you sing, that breath that you take in before you articulate any sound ensures that everything is in alignment. The message that you want to convey, the vocal tone you're going to use, and also the energy that once you're dynamic, you will use to follow the message through. I intentionally paused there because I... <laughs> I see what you did there, Billy. Very I fully good. agree with that. And one of the things I've had to do myself, because I'm a passionate person. I get so excited that I have to remember to take my time. And I think there's the pause, but then there's also not going too fast through anything that you do. Oh, yeah. Pace. Your pacing is important. So, you know, if you think of it like any piece of music, if you think of anything as like a dance or a creative exchange between people, whether the audience is passive, like they're watching a video or whether it's like this now where we're interacting, you know, there's so many components that go into an amazing piece of music. There's pitch, there's pace, there's rhythm, there's dynamics. And the creative choices that you make about how you're going to order the thoughts within the music, you know, do we have two verses or three verses, then a chorus? Or do we go verse, chorus, verse, chorus? Do we keep coming back and reiterate? a thought throughout the conversation? Or do we kind of start with a really big idea and explain? All of these things are components that are also relevant that we can learn from music that are also part of the dance between any two people or, or a communicator and their audience. Yeah. Well, when we think about podcasting specifically and the medium that we're on right now, I've been on lots of podcasts. I know you have as well. Do you find any common threads or areas that maybe you've noticed as, I call them opportunities, which is a nice way of saying that they could improve in certain areas. Is there any areas that stand out for a podcaster? Because the audience listening to this is mostly podcasters. What either are you seeing that maybe you could give some advice on avoiding doing something or even a suggestion on what to do? Yeah, you started our meeting today with probably my favorite thing in the whole world, which was just a 20 minute, 20 second, oh, 20 minutes would have been long, 20 second pause where we just took a breath and became present. And I've been on a lot of podcasts where, you know, there might be a technical issue at the start or the the podcaster has a very specific agenda. And so you feel like there's this rush to answer their question, but you're not necessarily being heard. And the thing is, I believe that the really good questions are asked when they're asked by someone who's listening in a profound way. And so if I can listen when you're speaking and vice versa, we're more likely to have a meaningful engagement. And then people, like I mentioned mirror neurons earlier, they're these little tiny things in our brains that recognize each other. So when I kick my toe, you feel it. You could be watching a video of me kick my toe, but you'll still feel it. And that is something that everyone except I think psychopaths and sociopaths share. And it's, you know, what we believe might be our soul, some scientists think. That capacity for sharing an experience can be conveyed in a myriad of ways. And that 
that research is really very new, but if in this moment you and I connected and truly listening to each other before our next move in the conversation, people who are listening will feel that too. And they will then have the the state where they feel relaxed to listen, but they also feel engaged. And so that pause is so important, but also that kind of mindful being there with a person rather than being caught up with your agenda or, or worrying about tech issues like, okay, resolve it, but don't stay there, move on, things like that. Just being present with the person that you're speaking to. I knew we were going to hit it off because I knew your approach and the thoughtfulness that you put behind the work that you do. And I fully agree. Let's face it. We've all been there where we're thinking about the next thing we're going to say, the next question we're going to ask, and we're not listening and we're not really embracing what is being said by the other person. I mean, this is true on a podcast, a corporate setting. This is true as a parent. I think we often fall victim to the just wanting to do the talking and not the listening part. It's difficult to have a truly deep and meaningful and engaged conversation if you can't first focus on embracing everything that's being said. And the thing that I've always coached when I was in corporate life, I said, it's okay. And this goes back to the earlier point. It's okay to have a few seconds pause. Just let it sink Mm. in. You don't need to respond right away. I think people get into this habit of wanting to respond or say something right away, but it's okay to take a beat, take a moment, reflect, internalize what was said, and then go on to what's next. So completely agree with you. Even on like a really mercenary level, Billy, knowledge is power. How on earth will you gather knowledge if you're not Mm -hmm. listening? You know, it's how we learn. People teach us, they show us who they are if we'll listen. They truly will. (laughs) You also talk about this one I'm a little bit less clear on what to look at, and that is the creative side. Because we talked about some of the physical side. We've talked about the psychology, but then you also talk about the creative. So what do you mean by that when you frame sort of your overarching approach to how you look at the voice? And I love that when you use voice, it's not just voice like me talking, it's deeper and more meaningful than that. It's everything that you're doing. So what's the creative part? Well, I believe that firstly, we are all creative beings. We have in us the inherent desire to create. And you will see that in the smallest child, the first thing they want to do is start stacking things. Like my daughter's favorite thing is to stack up all the jam jars at the breakfast table and go, look, I built a tower. I love it. You know, and my husband's having a heart attack and I'm saying, just let her do it. The worst thing that happens is we get some broken glass and jam on the floor. Like, just let her build the tower. Just so you know, we haven't had any broken (laughs) jars to date, but the night is young. You know, we have this inherent desire to create, but we also have this inherent desire to connect with sound and connect with creativity. You can't listen to a piece of music that's really good and not start to respond in your body. You'll tap your feet or your fingers. And so as creative beings... Very few of us are actually, as adults, given license to explore or express that. But without being conscious of it, we are choosing creatively every day to express ourselves how we articulate ourselves, how we dress, how we sign off on an email, how we greet a person in a street. These are all decisions that we're making that are rooted in our creative identity. You can choose to tip a hat. You can choose to wear really fun pants. I'm all business on the top, but what you can't see is that on the bottom, I've taken to wear really fun fun pants because I feel like creatively I need some kind of outlet, even though I'm all business on the top because I try to create like a screen... 
what what you look at is not distracting. I want you to focus on my voice and the message, but I still need to feel like I'm having a party somewhere. And so everything down to how you wear your hair, these are all creative decisions we're making. And so I think that being mindful of how you choose to engage with people and the words that you choose, if we recognize that as part of a creative process, can free us up to then have license to explore other options. I'm very blessed to have spent a lifetime first studying art and then music and feeling very much that my identity as an artist gives me license to explore things and have the resilience to try things and fail. But if you haven't been given that license, recognizing that you're still making creative decisions every day can help you perhaps feel entitled to try it in other places as well, like how you use your voice or how you phrase your words or how you present something. I love the approach that you take when you think of the creative side of our lives and the things that we do to allow ourselves to be free creatively. It opens up new doors and new channels and new ways to communicate and to connect. What are some suggestions that you have to unearth the creative side of our being? Because we often, much like a lot of the things we've been talking about, we close this part off. How do we open it back up and just let it run wild? Journaling is really good. There's a lot of people that have different exercises. There's a book called The Artist's Way that I think everyone can benefit from. Or one of my songwriting teachers from Berkeley used to get us to do two minutes of just stream of consciousness thought writing every morning. If you don't have kids, it's a lot easier. Or if your kids are grown and you can just sit down with your cup of coffee uh, and just do two minutes of stream of consciousness. That is very, very helpful. I think it's a mindset thing more than anything, Billy. I think just allowing yourself to explore that. Cook something you've never cooked before. Wear something in a way you've never worn it before. Greet people in a way that you haven't greeted them before. I don't care. Bow. Mm. <laughs> you know, tip your hat. We're not we're, we're not allowed to yeah. hug anymore or shake hands. I don't know what it's like in America, but in Australia, there's yeah, no yeah. touching. Getting creative with how you interact with others and show them your personality. You know, you have three seconds to make a first impression. That's why it's so dangerous that most people aren't thinking about what message their voice puts across. Because if you've got three seconds to make a first impression, impression and in this brave new world where all you've got is a video screen or your voice, you need to be spending more time on that. Forget the makeup, forget the heels, forget your very cool jogging shoes or how well jeans fit. They're not looking at that. They're looking at your your face on a camera and they're listening to your voice and you've got three seconds. So you want to make that count. It's true. And creativity can shine through in any number of ways. As you said, it could be something as simple as a greeting. And it is a mindset thing, right? I mean, that's the other piece that I totally agree with because something that you're conscious of and you're thinking about and you have more awareness of you can then give yourself that license to be more creative. To take us home here, I want to talk about how a voice coach, a vocal coach can help a podcaster and can help somebody in a space where the primary means of communication is a microphone and and communicating and talking. If you were to bring on somebody, a client or somebody that you were working with that is using their voice, what would be the steps that you would take them through? Or what would be the things that you would be looking at first and foremost? Would you listen to them? And I know one of the things you're not big on which I really admire is you're not big on judging or criticizing or saying, I don't like your voice or it's not a good voice. Yeah. Yeah. Unhelpful. It's just not helpful. Right. <laughs> and so that, that probably goes back to some deep seated, you know, earlier things, which I totally re- yeah. get. I totally respect that. So I know you're not doing that. It's a positive psychology principle as well. You know, let's focus on what you can do. That's an Alexander Technique principle as well. Let's focus on what you can do. So it's called, in Alexander Technique, we call it indirect approach. So 
if we focus on what you can do and focus on what's yes. working, that will become so strong that the things that aren't working will resolve Got it. themselves. Okay. It's double, d- double down on So, so there's, there's yeah, a like number, that. whether it's Alexander principle or positive psychology or mindfulness, one of the pillars of mindfulness is to have a non-judgmental approach. So this idea of focusing on what works is transformative, but it's not just something I came up with. It's something that you'll see in a lot of disciplines as a very effective and successful approach to growth and helping people thrive. Yeah, this is a especially meaningful for me as my cousin. He's the most famous person with my last name because he was the person who came up with the strengths perspective theory. You could look him up if you type in right. Salibi. That's his theory. And basically the, the genesis of it is that he, he did it mainly in a social work platform. But if we focus on someone's strength, it's a lot more fruitful than looking at all the things that they don't have, can't do, aren't good at, and you know, exactly have issues right. with, right? Yeah, like a gratitude mindset. We start every meal in our home right now in lockdown for the last two months or no, it's been six months now. For six months, we've been eating three meals together a day. We start with what my daughter calls thankful Mm. for. So we just say what we're thankful for, what we're grateful for. And it takes you from being out in the world and being ratty and wanting to watch TV and worrying about laundry and what your next call is to being there in the moment with the people and just being truly aware of how privileged we are and, and how much good there is even if you've been locked in the same four walls since <laughs> March, which is you know come more than six months without daycare for yeah. two months for us without playgrounds yeah. uh, with with an eight o'clock curfew. Yeah. <laughs> so if you figure yeah. out at ten past eight after the kids have gone to bed that you need medicine and you can't leave the house, that's too bad. You're going to keep everyone awake coughing that night. <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. But there's so much to be grateful for in mm. all of that. We're in touch with some of our friends who are in India, and it's really hard there. So. Our roof works. Yeah, (laughs) we're not living near three three inches. It's all perspective, right? You could could look at your situation, my situation. Everybody's got their own situation. There's going to be pros and cons. Exactly right. They are things that we look at, and they're right in front of us, and it can be frustrating. But then you can look at all the things that you are grateful for. Let's go back to this concept as it relates to looking at somebody's strengths, looking at what they're good at. So, what would I do with a podcast? I have actually a number of clients that are podcasters. And usually what happens is when they know they're going to launch or they're about to start a new season, we'll have a couple of sessions just to get them show fit. You know, So we'll look at what is the trajectory the show is going to take. Um, how do we get their head in a space where that sentiment, like the personality that they want to convey through their voice will be in alignment with the mm-hmm. message. And we make sure one of the big things that I see people fall over on is that they get so excited to share so many ideas that their message gets too busy. And so they will have reams and reams and reams of notes. And what that's going to do is make your head very full and not really allow you the space to convey an idea and let it resonate with Mm -hmm. your audience. So a lot of the time it will be practicing or kind of top and tailing ideas for each episode and kind of getting rid of anything that's really not pertinent directly to the message, getting their voice ready. So going through some exercises that will help them get their voice sounding the way they want it to sound in a way that's in alignment with their message. Because you've got to think if your audience is teenage girls and makeup, that's going to be a very different vocal tone to if it's serious news or Mm -hmm. reporting or travel. You're going to have different aspects of your identity that you want to really shine through in your voice. And you also want it to be authentic. Like you can really hear it. You can really hear 
when someone's doing a happy yeah. voice and their cat died and somewhere in their voice, you're like, this doesn't sound right. They don't sound really happy. They sound acting happy. And so your listener is going to tune out because their mirror neurons or their gut feeling is going to say something's not right yeah. here. So it's really important to make sure that the voice is in alignment with the message, but also that the message is very direct and uncluttered. And a lot of people are kind of writing, directing and producing their own podcasts, right? Or there's not a very big production team. So as the person behind the microphone, the buck stops with you. And it's really important that you have your message clear and that all components that go into that microphone and come out the other end into someone's ears are aligned and bang on because that's how you're going to keep your audience's attention. Authenticity is a buzzword that we hear so much right now. And for good reason. I mean, it is important. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the points that you've made a few times is just how important our subconscious is in identifying, Mm -hmm. is this genuine or is it not genuine? I mean, it can pick up on that so, so, so quickly. Let's dive Mm-hmm. I've been on those exercises and it may vary based on the individual and what they're trying to do, but what would be some exercises that somebody listening to the show could do or should do to help prep their voice to be ready for their shows? Firstly, I would say one of the best things you can do in terms of prep is to practice. So practice going through what it is you want to say and make sure that that message sounds right when it comes out of your mouth. Because sometimes what it sounds like when we write it and what it sounds like when we say it out loud, is not the same thing. Right. So true. As a songwriter, there's two questions that I always asked myself. And I still ask this when I'm working with speech writing with clients and with anyone that's got like a serious message to convey to the media or something that's important to them. You need to ask yourself two things. Am I being honest? Be honest. And what's my Mm -hmm. point? Because it's so easy to kind of get stuck in the weeds and to keep coming back. I even write it at the top of every page. Be honest. What's your point? Be honest. Mm -hmm. What's your point? And keep coming back to that. Then practice those key points. Put them on a mirror and watch yourself read them back until you don't have to think about it. It becomes automatic and it starts to really feel like your message. Sometimes what we think is our message and what is actually our message Mm -hmm. isn't in alignment. So you could feel really bad about your body image and be out there telling people to be, you know, go wild, wear whatever makes you feel good. And if those two messages don't align, they're going to feel that inauthenticity. Mm -hmm. If you say, I have always struggled with my weight and I feel uncomfortable in clothes that I really think on the shelf look good, but then I put them on and they feel bad and they fit wrong. And even though I look good, I feel bad. So here's how we're going to find clothes that look good and Mm -hmm. feel good. And they don't pinch you around the waist. You know, if if you can find a way to have that kind of authentic conversation and be vulnerable, that's going to shine through Mm -hmm. in your voice. But I also think going back to singing in the shower, do some, before you even start on the microphone, do some lip trills, like, like flubbering the lips and do some little sirens, like, "Mm -hmm. that's what I was doing earlier. My wife was like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Or, Or the other one I really love because people forget how important the tongue is. You know, the tongue is the one that shapes all the sounds, right? And if your tongue is stiff, then uh, it's going to be impacting the way you articulate words. And it are these like little noises that kids make all the time, right? And um, they don't even think about it. A monkey goes, but as a grown up, how many times have you right. made that sound? Uh, like yeah, exactly. It's the thirty, yeah, it's thirty years <laughs> more than more than that. <laughs> So these these sounds all get your body working in a way that's going to make a better sound. We can't allow this adult side of us to censor. It's fear. Yeah, it's- like you can choose fear or love. It, it's a fear of yeah. being silly. It's a fear of being judged. Okay, so I'm scared of being judged. And I'm still going to go. Like you've got to still you just gotta choose. Do it. 
I choose not yeah. to. Yeah. Like, okay. And this is one of the things, you know, people often come to me with performance anxiety and they want to get rid of it. And that might not be possible, but what we can do is reframe how we feel about it so that we see it as energy that will help us give a more exciting performance. So if we can reframe how we feel that excitement and trepidation feel the same, and it's just down to our perception. They both feel like a racing heart and sweating hands and dilated pupils, but one has the perception that it is a good Mm -hmm. thing. One has the perception that it's a bad thing. So it really is all in your mind. Yeah. You reframe it and it changed the way in which you think about it. Going back Mm -hmm. to your point on honesty, this is interesting Mm -hmm. to me because fully agree. I also think that self-awareness is a rare commodity where we have difficulty listening to ourselves and honestly evaluating, am I being honest? Because you say, am I being honest? And what's my point of view? Or what am I trying to say? On the honesty piece, Mm -hmm. do you have any advice or suggestion that will allow someone to actually hear themselves and actually give themselves an honest evaluation on their honesty? I am a huge advocate of meditation because for me, meditation is often like if you have a river that has been stirred up by the rain and the eddies of the current and it's muddy and then you let it stop and you let the silt Mm -hmm. settle to the bottom and the water becomes clear. That is what meditation does for me. It helps the water become clear. And in doing so, I can start to see those layers of sediment settle And those layers are my defenses. Mm -hmm. As my defense mechanisms settle because they're not needed right now, I can start Mm. to see them. And as the water becomes clear, I can choose not to stir it up again. I can choose to tread lightly and not re-engage those defense mechanisms. If you think of it like a mother tongue, you learn your first language, right? And you may learn a second language and you go to live in the country where that second language is spoken, but that first language will always be there. So in times when you're fatigued or stressed or disorientated or sad, that first Mm -hmm. tongue will be what comes back to you. That first language will be your default, but you haven't failed because you've gone back to your mother tongue. It's just, that was your first language. And so you can choose to go back to your second language. You can choose to re-engage in that second language, but that first language will always be there. It's just a matter of if you choose to engage it or not. It's just like the programming that we have through evolutionarily, just many thousands, millions of years. We have, as you said, defense mechanisms. We have fear. We have all these things that Mm -hmm. if you really look at it and look back to what was it like when we were on the plains and we had to be careful of getting eaten by an animal or something like that. They they served a purpose. Yeah, it, it served a purpose. And yet here we are today where we don't really need to have those things. They're still present. And so we have to do a bit of some mental jumping jacks to make sure that we're not just using old programming, that we're able to acknowledge and be aware of this old programming and then think of a way to approach anything in life in a way where we're not going to let that rule who we are, how we go about our daily lives and the way in which we interact or or anything like that. And without judgment. Without judgment, without attachment. You know, without judgment, recognizing. I love it. And I love that you're looking at everything that you're doing from the lens in which you look at it loving this conversation. It's so deep. It's so beyond. Yeah, me too. We're getting past surface level. And I love that because I'm relatively new to podcasting. I'm very much open to exploring anything that will help me in my craft. And one of those things is understanding my own voice, what's working, what's not working. I want to have a vocal coach. I want to have somebody that can help with that. And I'm sure some of my listeners will too. One of the things that stands out that you said, which was really interesting to me, which is a lot of these vocal coaches, they get too wound up. And it's almost like a laziness talking about breathing. Yeah, it's 
It's really outdated technology. Like it's like if you brought in one of those old Macs and went like, okay, let's play a video game. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> like I think the origins are important, but the last 20 or 30 years, we've had this technology that allows us to put cameras down the throat and monitor the body's behavior. There was a time where the only way you could understand the vocal folds was to take a cadaver, pump its lungs full of air, cut off the head and squeeze the lungs and see what happens. Like that's not what it's like anymore. We can see this mm. in action and we're understanding more and more how it works and that the body can be rehabilitated and that there is a link between our behavior and, and how we're using our body and how the voice is impacted by that. And that you can cut off a nodule and it will grow back if you keep using the body the same way because you'll make the injury by doing the same behavior again. You're better off rehabilitating if you can. And so with understanding that, work with someone that has a really good understanding of anatomy, but also I would never go to a vocal coach that doesn't exemplify a healthy body themselves. Listen to mm -hmm. how they sound. Because if there are some people out there, they've got really husky voices and they sound really cool and it's great. They, <coughs> they sound great. <laughs> Don't go to those guys because if they're not looking after their own voice, what are they going yeah. to teach you? It makes perfect sense. <laughs> And I agree that the anatomy piece, this is the part that fascinates me. And so what you're saying is looking at current state, we now have technology that allows us to in real time, mm -hmm. look at what's happening that we can't see. Yeah, correct. What have we found out? You talked about the vocal cords. Walk me through like, what have we learned now that we're able to do this? What have we learned? And what are the things that's more cutting edge in terms of how our voice operates? You talked about the vocal folds. They're amazing. So they're, they're made up of five layers and the top layer is a very where are they exactly? So you know where your thyroid cartilage is, your Adam's apple? Uh -huh. Your Adam's apple, that little, that the most protruding yeah, yeah, sure, sure. part uh -huh. of your throat, that's the front of your thyroid cartilage. So if you went straight through, okay, that is your vocal folds housed within your larynx. Can you actually feel them? Oh, no. And you wouldn't want to. There's actually no bones in your throat, just one bone. There's one little bone called the hyoid bone, which if you broke that, you'd die. Really? Yeah. That, so when someone karate chops a throat in sure, sure. James Bond and the person goes, down. That's actually real. If you broke the hyoid bone, it kind of looks like a wishbone. If you broke that, the throat is a valve and I it see. would close over and there you couldn't get any more air in or out, which is why then you've seen like tracheotomies. That's where someone's got a hole lower down. Right. That's okay. The only way you could then get the lungs open again. Yeah. If that part of the throat had closed down. Look, the basic function of our larynx is to enable us to breathe because we can be brain dead as an organism. And still the organism is alive. But if our lungs have stopped working, we are a cactus. We are finished. Mm -hmm. And so we need to breathe to survive. And the throat is one part of a mechanism that ensures that organism stays alive. It's kind of secondary that it's also used to make sound. And if we strain or if we need to cough or anything like that, you'll feel that the throat will start to close over. So if you sat on a chair and then tried to lift yourself off that chair, you'd feel your throat start to close over with the effects. It's impossible, right? Mm -hmm. Or when you're doing a poo, that's mm -hmm. another time when you're straining. <laughs> right, 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 right. But our throat also does that in response to fear. Oh, wow. Okay. Because it's part of the mechanism to protect the body, <laughs> make sure the lungs are protected. Sure. When fight, flight, freeze, or fawn is triggered, the throat also starts that closing sensation. But why closing? Wouldn't it want to stay open? Well, to stop anything from getting in the lungs. Stopping anything from getting in there, but it's staying open just enough to be able to still breathe. It'll close until it knows it's safe. Okay. Think about that. What's the first thing you do when you're scared? You hold your breath. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Right. So one of the things we'd want to look at is how do we get the throat feeling open? How can we trigger? It's kind of some teachers talk about like the Mona Lisa smile. Like if you smile silently, do you feel your throat start to open? So that is the opposite direction or like a silent laugh. When you say that's the opposite direction, meaning you shouldn't do that or? No, it's good. So basically when you're feeling scared, your throat will start to feel like it's closing. Like when you want to cry, Mm -hmm. but when you want to laugh really hard and and you're holding it in, the throat goes the other way, right? If somebody's crying and they're like very emotionally crying and they're like, "Uh," that's like, they're almost like choking. They're almost closing. Right. You got it. But if you want to laugh and, and you can't let the laugh out, okay, because it's not appropriate, you'll feel your throat start to open the opposite way. Okay. And so that kind of opening in the throat is good. You want the throat to feel open anytime you're speaking, because that's one of the things that we can hear with our ears. So our ears will hear how open a throat is. So we could hear when someone's scared or upset because their throat starts to sound tighter, right? And if someone has a default setting, they've got quite a high, tight throat, they don't really feel very comfortable to listen to. If we open the throat, drop the larynx and we're more relaxed, we're back to this sound. You talked about the Mona Lisa smile. What are some other ways? I mean, I could feel myself do. I'm just so conscious of even on this call and I'm like, I'm just like, I'm trying not to think about it, but it's kind of hard not to. So how do you not think about it? But how do you think about it so that you can, it sounds like to me, you want your larynx, is that how you say it? Larynx? Larynx. You want that down and you want to open it up to get more. You want to kind of in a middle position. Some people like, so we all have a different place where we sit naturally as a byproduct of our habit. Some people will have quite high larynx position. Some people have it quite low. Ideally, you want it kind of in the middle and a bit free to move up and down. I see. Okay. Because of my training, mine sits very much in the middle and then often modulates down because I know that that's a sound that I like and it makes me feel calm to hear it. But I also have my throat quite open a lot of the time as a byproduct of my training, because I know that that makes a more resonant sound. So when you smile and you know they'll say in sales training, smile before you answer the phone. One of the things that does, if it's a genuine smile, like so you can do a smile just with your lips mm-hmm. and then you can do a smile where you genuinely feel happy. You will feel your throat change shape. Yeah, you totally do. Do a smile where you are just like, my lips are moving, but nothing else is turned on. I'm really thinking about having to do the dishes. Feels fake. Yeah, it feels fake. You got it. Now, think about the thing that makes you the happiest in the world. For me, that's cuddles (laughs) from my two-year-old. Feel your throat change, right? Totally, totally. Your whole body shifts. And this is why I say it's so important that you can use these like mental triggers. Your mind is driving the bus here. Your body is responding to what's happening in your head. I used to only do what my family called a CMG, a closed mouth grin. And it was because I didn't like my teeth when I was a kid. But then obviously, as I got older, I started to smile with a full smile. But now I know there's other side benefits for this. I've so enjoyed our conversation. Anytime. Last question for you is just a kind of a free form. What advice do you have for somebody that is using their voice a lot? Because to my point, and frankly, to your point, you talk about is that we all have a voice or mm-hmm. the vast majority of people have a functioning voice, of mm-hmm. course, with, with some rare exceptions, unfortunately, but the vast majority of people have a voice yet the crazy, crazy, crazy number of people that don't pay attention to it. I mean, I would guess it's 99.9 something like it's just practically nobody pays attention to it. But there are people who are using their voice, especially a lot, either they're a singer or they're a podcaster or they're an actor, you know, musician, all these different things. What advice do you have for them in closing out? I think it's really important to give yourself time, not just when you think, but also for your body to recover. So if you've had a really 
long and intense period of time of speaking, then downtime after that is really important. You know, lots of sighing, you know, um, cups of tea are helpful, not because the tea or the water never actually gets to the larynx if it does your choking. But what it does do is it triggers a, a swallowing mechanism that constricts and releases the muscles. And it also rehydrates your body. So, you know, staying hydrated, it takes about two hours from when you drink the water to when it actually has an impact on your vocal folds from an internal mechanism. But from an initial mechanism, the, the squeezing and releasing of the muscles within the throat is like having a nice stretch. So giving yourself time to recover after an intense period of activity is really important. That's where you see a lot of fatigue injuries is where people will speak for, you know, eight hours a day and then not give themselves downtime. That's something that's really important. Getting enough sleep is really important. Eating food that doesn't give you reflux because that will burn the bottom of the vocal folds and increase the likelihood of injury. Drinking Mm. things that are not diuretic. So coconut water is great. Water is great. Herbal teas are great. Coffee, not so much. Wine, not so much. Tequila is for Saturdays. (laughs) And, And then give yourself Sunday to recover. You know, kind of basic vocal hygiene and send you a care sheet for your listeners if you like. They can download. Basic hygiene of looking after your voice, you know, if this is how you're going to make a living or an impact on the world, you need to give it the consideration and respect and care that it's due. What's interesting to me is that you've highlighted something really important in that as we take care of this instrument that we have and not make it the muddy trumpet that won't play, (laughs) right? By the way, my buddy like absolutely is allergic to the sound of a trumpet. So he's going to get a kick out of the fact that we talk like it'll play. That song has trumpet in it, doesn't it? (laughs) It's like, it's like, turn it off immediately. It's like one of these weird phobias. What happened to him when he was a kid? Uh, who knows? Who knows? Band camp. <laughs> Band camp. You have a small child. You've said this. I got this from you. It's like they could scream and cry and the voice, it, it can endure a lot. It really yeah. can. But we can do things like stretch it out, play with it. And I would love that. And if it's okay with you, I could put a download link, yep. go to for the love of forward slash Emanuela, and I'll put it there for anyone to download. They can find you at findyourvoiceaustralia.com. Where else Correct. can they find you? What else um, do you want to share in terms of how they could get in touch with you? Should they well, uh, want to connect? Yeah, you can also visit my personal website. So Find Your Voice Australia is my company uh, where we offer coaching. But if you want to connect with me, you can also Google EmanuelaGrace.com. Both of those will lead you to a booking system where if you want to have a chat with me, you can just book that in. I would talk to people about this all day. It brings me a lot of joy. And if I can help, I would love to. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Well, I love the passion. I love how much you care and how you look at this from a very holistic standpoint. I've talked about that a lot because I really do value looking at it in a way that's not just one dimensional, but is looking at it more wholly. And I'm really grateful for the time that you spent sharing your wisdom and the fact that you've done all of the legwork from the time where you first got exposed to how to use your body and really release your body in a way to get more equilibrium and to have less stress on all the body parts, Mm -hmm. which led ultimately to you studying this and getting masters and doing a postdoctorate. I mean, all the things that you've done to really enrich yourself, to give yourself a great understanding of the physical nature of the anatomy of it all, Mm -hmm. but also the headspace, how it ties back to our creative being and everything that you've shared just really resonates with me. And I hope that my voice is resonating with the audience. Uh, <laughs> with that, Emanuela Grace, so grateful. Thank you for being on For the Love of Podcast. It's been a joy. Thank you, Billy, for having me. Oh, you're still here? Awesome. Good to know that you made it this far. And I hope you enjoyed 
this episode with Emanuela Grace. I know I sure did. I got so much value out of her perspective on The Voice, not only in the physiological side of things, but also the mindset and the psychology behind the way we should be thinking about how we use our voice. If you like this show, if you like this episode, it would mean the world to me if you would take just a few minutes to go review it on your favorite podcast platform. So what's in store for next week? Well, I have a treat for you, and that treat is the one and only legend himself, Cliff Ravenscraft. That's right. If you're not familiar with Cliff, you should be. Go check him out and see what he's all about in preparation for next week's episode. Cliff is the man when it comes to podcasting. Literally, for a long time, he had the show The Podcast Answer Man, and countless people would attribute their start to the guidance that he gave them. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 40,000 people started their podcast in part because of the lessons taught by Cliff. So I promise you won't want to miss that conversation. I'm so excited to share it with you. Until next time, remember, everything we do, we do it for the love of podcasts.